Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by James Ricks and John Booth. Looking forward to having a good discussion around sustainability today. So thanks for joining me. Do you want to just give a quick introduction? John, do you want to start with you? Do you want to know who you are? Yeah, I'm John, um, Managing Director of Carbon Free IT Limited. We're an energy efficiency and sustainability consultancy okay. providing services to all the people that you think and, uh, and some smaller ones as well, which we are not allowed to go into, unfortunately. So always got to keep some secrets. And, and James, over to you. Yeah, so I'm James Ricks. I'm a project director with Arcadis. Uh, I've been with Arcadis about three and a half years. I also lead the global community of practice uh, for Arcadis as a knowledge hub on, on all things to do with data center and also moving into sustainability with data centers as well. So I'm uh, interested to be here and uh, look forward to a, an interesting discussion. Sneaking into my patch, that's what he's doing. It's a big world of sustainability. I think there's there's enough room for all of us. But <laughs> thanks for coming on. As I say, like really wanted to have a good discussion around sustainability. It's something that the sector talks about all the time. And, and as I always say, I think there's a lack of understanding to a lot of people about what it really is, what it means, why it's so important. So hopefully we can answer a few of those questions today. But to start, let's let's go into the uh, kind of simple question, but a rather broad question. And if we start with you, John, what is sustainability? Sustainability is quite strictly defined by the United Nations, actually, and it, and it derives from the Brompton Report, which was released in 1987. And effectively, what it means is to meet our own needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. So that's the strict definition of sustainability. James, any views on that? Yeah, I think what John said is very correct. That's the obviously the United Nations definition. However, and, and there's always a, a however, in the industry today, I've got the general idea it means whatever you want it to mean. Everything seems to have got sustainability tagged onto it. In fact, I saw a, a very interesting a session being promoted at a, a conference about how undersea cables were promoting a sustainable internet, um, which I was uh, struggling to to, to get uh, hold of as to where all this sort of sat. Um, but for a lot of people, it means whatever they want it to mean. And there's that usual big, very big bucket of greenwash that gets chucked over a lot. And do you think, like, on on the definition of it, and this is me from the, you know, kind of the outside looking in, that we need a definition so that the sector has something to work towards, or is it okay that actually it can mean different things to different people? John, no, not at all. Um, there is a, I think I agree with James um, when he talks about the greenwash, and I think there is a, a very much a case of don't look up attitude with um, data centres, and, and that applies globally. I think we've got, you know, I, I I look at LinkedIn on a regular basis, and I see loads of announcements saying a data centre is going to be built here and a data centre is going to be built there, and you look at them, and they're in developing countries. And you know they're going to be to 20th century designs. 
um, which are not sustainable in, in any way, shape or form. Um, so, yeah, it, there, there does need to be a stricter definition of data centres. We did some sustainability benchmarking um, work over the last 18 months or so, and we, we looked at almost every uh, jurisdiction and looked at the actual data centre standards or definition of sustainability for data centres that there were. And to be honest, there isn't a global definition of what a sustainable data centre is. Now, I have my own definition, and we are working with clients to those definitions. Um, and I'll probably be able to tell you about those a little bit later. James, do you have any views on that? Yeah, I think um, John's quite right in what he says, that you know we need to have a firm definition across industry as to what, what all this means. Because if we don't set a benchmark, how do we know that we've improved? So we need to know how we set that benchmark in the first place. While John was talking, I was thinking about um, maps and mapping. You, you can have a variety of different maps, different processes that you, you use. But until you standardize everywhere across one sort of map, one type of map, say for GPS, is it a Macanta projection of that map? Then everybody knows what's happening. If you're using something else, something you've cooked up you know, for yourself, that doesn't work for everybody. You can manipulate that for your own ends. And what we're talking about here is not something that should be manipulated for anybody's ends. It is a standard across the board that everybody either conforms to or not. Where do they meet it? Where, do they, where don't they meet it? And more importantly, how can they improve? If we've got this roadmap to net zero, that nirvana that we talk about, you know, how do we know that roadmap is reliable? Is it on the right? Is it being mapped correctly? We need to have some standards around this. Otherwise, we'll just do whatever we want. It's a bit like the, uh, the infamous data center metric of PUE. People take it to mean exactly whatever they want it to mean. However, to do it properly, you put it against a standard, like the ISO, and then you know exactly where you are. Everybody can measure against the same points, and you get a reliable result. That's exactly what we need with sustainability. Absolutely, James. I completely agree with you. And you know, through my membership of the BSI and being the chair of the TCC, TCT73 committee, I, I have been uh, recently uh, forewarned of a series of updates to uh, the CLC technical report EN 5699-1, which is the best practices for energy efficiency, um, which is also replicates quite closely the best practices from the EU Code of Conduct for Data Centres, which does contain some sustainability best practice within, and also CLC uh, slash TR 5699-2, which are the best practices of sustainability, and also um, how they're going to be implemented into CLC TS EN 5605-1, which is the maturity model. And um, those are going to be quite interesting when they finally get approved and published, which will probably be early next year now. But um, I'm looking through them at the moment 
because I'm doing a review uh, exercise. And I have to say that it's going to be really difficult for data centers to achieve the top levels unless they start to really, really think about what it is they're doing and how they're doing it. And it does give you some guidance as to how to do it. Now, the maturity model from uh, 2010 from the Green Grid uh, basically uh, uh, graded data centers to one, two, three, four, or five. Uh, and, and this document replicates that. So you will have uh, in the future the ability to certify to your data center to the maturity model, which contains the code of conduct, best practices, and the sustainability best practices at various levels. Now, as I said earlier, I've had a look at it and um, I think we're going to have lots of data centers struggling just to get to level three um, and level four and level five are going to really, they're going to really have to push the boat out. And it, I think it's its a case of, you know, sometimes when you look at old scientific papers and they, they say, oh, if we could do this with this type of machine, then we'd be able to give you a lot better information. But that machine hasn't been created yet. And I think that there are some things within the the standard that are their they're aspirations, their goals, um, and it, what it is, it's a, it's a wake up call to the ICT sector in particular, the manufacturing, that you know we need this information. And on that point, obviously, it brings us on nicely to, and you touched on it as well, James, like how we actually measure sustainability, and you, you've obviously covered elements of it already. But again, like to myself, I just think it's it's a word. There's not really, you know, much around it and no one can say, like, I'm level four sustainable or I'm level five sustainable. So how do we actually measure sustainability and, and do we need, like, elements like you've just discussed, John, to come in and actually have a standard where we can say this data centre is achieving sustainability level X? James, do you want to go with that one? I think we need to, to bring in those standards and it's a bit can't get the words out. It is always a challenge to bring anything new into a legacy facility because they are hidebound by all of the way the, their facility has been set up. This has been the problem recently with increased temperatures that we've seen. Because they've all been designed to a lower maximum temperature than what we're seeing currently. So there needs to be a change takes take place to revise that. But where we talk about new facilities, that's where we have a real um, opportunity to do some really good sustainable things if we start right with the design. So we're looking at you know energy or CO2, health and well-being, circularity, which is something that can always gets forgotten. You know, nature and biodiversity, the mobility in the environment, and climate adaptation which is where our temperature bits fall into. We need to look at those six principles very carefully at the point of design to make sure that we are doing whatever is needed within there to come forward with something that is sustainable. Then, once we understand that, we can then move to the legacy facilities and start to apply these points there. Well, I, I would actually say, James, that... Um, in, in Europe, the EU taxonomy regulations, um, which apply to basically, uh, it, it's focused at investors, but it covers 
a humongous amount of uh, we you know consider be day to day activities, and I've I've been recently working on a, a kind of project that's looking at the taxonomy in a, in a lot of detail. And, and you're right, it talks about climate mitigation and it talks about climate adaptation. And in, in one part of the taxonomy regulations, which is section eight, which is information and communications technology, it actually refers to the EU code of conduct and says that if you are an investor investing in a product um, that's ICT related, so in our case, that would be an investor that's related, that's investing in a data center build project, um, you have to make sure that you're protecting your investors by ensuring that eventually they're not going to have a stranded asset, which will be stranded because of energy and carbon legislation. So that stuff's already there. Um, I don't think the data center sector got the memo, though. Um, because like you know, a lot been, they don't. <laughs> yeah, I've been talking to quite a few people um, about the taxonomy regulations, and it, it there is absolutely no visibility on their radars about it, and and they will have they they are going to get bitten quite badly by it. Um, and you know, in a couple of weeks' time, the 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 drafts for the corporate sustainability reporting directive from the EU is going to come out, and then we're expecting an, a redraft of the energy efficiency directive, which specifically calls for a mandatory data center registry, where you have to provide. Um, the total amount of energy you've consumed, the percentage of it that's derived from renewables, water usage, and any waste heat um, activities that you're up to. And that'll be mandated by law. Um, and we've already seen, I think last week, there was a, I saw a news article saying that France um, was was asking for a, an environmental information, very similar. So I would actually say that the French government have probably jumped the gun a bit. They've looked at the energy efficiency directive, they know what's coming down the line. They're in a bit of an energy crisis. You know, half of their nuclear fleet is offline for maintenance at the moment. So they need to start doing energy. And, and I think that's what's going to um, hit our data center growth plans is, one, the lack of actual physical energy, whether it's derived from fossil fuels because of the Ukrainian crisis, and two, because of the lack of infrastructure. We've only have to look at over in Ireland where – Unfortunately, Dataplex, I think, went into administration over the weekend uh, purely because they couldn't procure a grid connection from, from the e-grid. But I note today that a data centre, the Ennis data centre, gets permission, and I've had a look at that site as well, and the reason why that's got permission is it sits on a substation, literally a 132-kilovolt substation, which is walking distance away, Um but it's in an area where there isn't constraints on grid capacity. So this then leads me on to a, another bit, which, but I'm going to let you respond to that, James, first. Yeah, I saw the, exactly the same articles that, uh, that you did, John. And I must admit, I found it somewhat hilarious in, in, in some ways that, you know, one company has to go into administration, the other one gets permission, one gets a response from the government, one doesn't. There are obviously there is a backstory behind both of those that we don't know, and probably because of this, you know, vastly open industry that we work in, we will we'll never get to know. However, we do need to make sure that we are looking at these things correctly. The scaremongering uh, around the London grid in West London being 
having no availability uh, for for housing because data centers have sucked it all up, that can often be viewed as pure scaremongering because there is capacity within the grid, except people have said, well, for my three megawatt facility, I really want four, you know, or I want four and a half or I want five. So you've got someone that's got an agreement to take five megawatts against the three they're actually going to use. So it just sits there because the, the grid has sold that amount out. We need to start looking at these things a bit more practically. And with a, 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 a good sense, you know, head head on it to look at it so that we are not, you know, stringing ourselves along thinking, oh, there's nothing. When in fact, there is like lots of data centers have stranded power capacity uh, within them because of the way that they, they operate. That can be released. The same as the stranded capacity there is within the grid can also be released if we look at start looking at things sensibly. Everybody wants to put this comfort factor in. You say to you know, IT, how much do you need? Oh, I need two megawatts. You know, or facilities, well, you better make it three. Well, risk, uh, you better make it four. So, so for your two megawatt facility, you end up with probably six megawatts because everybody's chucking their bit of extra comfort factor in. But we need to start thinking carefully, otherwise we we will theoretically run out. I saw an article today as well on heat reuse, which I think it's in the FT. I haven't I haven't shared it yet, but um, it kind of got me thinking as well that are we going to see a change in approach from the media because they'll be under pressure? Because obviously you know, we know they need we need data centers, we need to develop them, and if there's too much negative media, it becomes too highlighted, doesn't it? It becomes too apparent to the outside world that they're a problem, and really. I think most governments don't really want them to be a problem. They they just need them to be developed and managed in a better way. I don't know what your views are on that, but I just think we're seeing a at the moment in the media, and you're probably seeing it as well. We're seeing like good cop, bad cop articles quite regularly. One will come out one day, and then the next day it's something different. So there's definitely something going on somewhere behind the scenes. I, I don't know, John, what you think about that? Yeah, I think. Um, well, I actually spoke to a Times journalist last Friday. Um, and he asked me specifically about the problems with the NHS Trust Guys Hospital um, and the data centre, you know, failing. Um, and I've actually been to that facility. And I, I've said to him, you know, it, it probably um, hasn't been updated since since it was originally installed back when the tower was built. And that was in the late 70s. Um, and, yeah, you know, it, it's... Um, it's sitting in a room that I think it's underneath an MRI scanner or an X-ray room. So I wouldn't be at all surprised. And, and I don't know because I'm not had any actual knowledge of that. But, you know, being that close to an X-ray machine is not going to do any of the components any good. Um, and you've only got to see what happens on nuclear sites where, you know, um, none of the IT equipment is ever recycled or resold it's all sent up to Sellafield and it sits in a storage depot until it you know until it's deemed not to be radioactive anymore um but my point there was you know he they were they were looking for a story these guys right and one of the stories was all all data centers affecting the way the NHS trust they've had to go back to paper uh and also oh you know and that um GLA note about the lack of power in Slough so the journalists are hunting for a story and, and, and it is very much, you know, today's news is yes, it's tomorrow's chip paper. Um, and I don't think 
investors really you know take any notice of the of the MSM media that they they probably take more notice of what's happening in from data center dynamics inside data center podcast and all of the other data center related um, specialized media that are out there that are getting more nuances and more detail on the stories um so but having said that we we know that the government are and governments, especially in the EU, EU and now in the US through the Climate Act that was just passed there on Monday, there is going to be a shortage of power. You know, we it, 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 we aren't building out the renewables quick enough. We're still relying on fossil fuels. Every day that a power a, new, a coal-fired power station is burning coal is is another couple of tons of coal, a few thousand tons of CO two that goes in the atmosphere, which hits the greenhouse gases so we are going to have to do something and you know looking at the projections of what's going on and the information that comes out of the ipcc uh, about the climate reports and you've only got to look at the news you know fires in spain fires in portugal fires in greece fires in france fires in california flooding in in the appalachian mountains a couple of weeks ago um the climate is clearly changing it really is. And we need to think about, you know, what this sector is going to do to address it. And, and at the moment, I see precious little uh, kind of um, government national strategy stage. And I see even less at individual company um, efforts. You know, with the, there are a few exceptions. For instance, the, the companies that we're working with are genuinely trying to make their data centers have a as smaller carbon environmental footprint as it's possible to have i mean we're actually doing i'm going to talk about that in a moment because i'll let james have a have his say yeah um you know he's following on from john you know with, at, at arcadis we are working very hard you know to work within science-based targets you know for ourselves it starts at home it starts with ourselves making improvements so on the Arcadis.com website, you can look at the sustainability and the improvements year on year that we have made with uh, the amount of CO2 we are not generating. But the point I made to somebody recently was, you know, CO2 is only one of the greenhouse gases. There are many other greenhouse gases that also we need to think about. Six, actually. I'm not sure whether they're frozen or... No, you're, you're okay. There's um, six greenhouse gases. There's um, seven, actually, because they've just added a new one, which is actually derived from the manufacture of semiconductors, which I think is going to be an interesting one looking for, forward. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think about the science-based targets and I think about the, the task force on climate-related disclosure and all of those B Corp and all those things. And, and you see the, the industry in certain respects and even the hyperscalers scrabbling to get a stamp from these organisations. But, you know, these, the criteria they use isn't particularly robust, um, although they would say it is. I've looked at them and I'm thinking, you know, we were doing that five years ago, um, you know, and you've only just announced it. And then you look at all of the... But, you know, as I said, you know, any data center that's using structural steel and concrete as, as their primary uh, building components really need to wake up and smell the coffee. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I mean, we're, we're working with um, a client at the moment and 
they've actually changed the, they're building a small pilot site with, with an expansion of six other halls um, in, in the Iberian Peninsula. And they actually came to us and said, look, we, we need to think about the embodied carbon of our construction. Um, so we're doing a virtually real-time carbon footprint as they are building um, their site. So we're getting the, the actual materials that they're putting in. We're comparing that against the bill of materials. We are looking at the quantities. We've we've already built up a considerable database of, of construction elements. And we're we're basically, we, you know, if we wanted to, we could put a clock on site, which was basically adding up all of the carbon during that construction phase. So recently we had a we had a progress meeting and um and they said, Oh, we're looking at doing something with immersed compute at scale. And you think, oh, well, that's interesting because to date, most immersed compute solutions have been proof of concept only. But this is like a humongous amount of energy. Um and I, you know, I was looking at it and I was thinking, it, it's not just the components, the ICT component, is the mechanical and electrical components with their environmental product declarations. And it's the construction materials and how much it's costing, you know, how much in terms of carbon are we using to build stuff? Um, and, you know, we've done a quite a lot of study on this. So we've kind of, we've worked out, but if you're in a, if you're in the Nordics, for instance, and you build sustainably, and, you know, are we free and tell you we're working with Eco DC at Fallon? Um, they have a, a lamp cross laminated timber glue lamp type superstructure with uh, and that allowed them to have a, a smaller concrete slab, which they used a, a concrete additive to to make it as as less CO2 emission as possible. They are sitting right next to a combined heat and power company. They provide their waste heat. It's used during the winter to supplement the boilers. And in the summer, they use it to dry wood pellets. Um, you know, it's exceptionally, it, it is an exceptionally exceptional site. However, and operationally, it's exceptional as well. But you've got to concentrate and look at whether or not, what is most focus on? Operational carbon or embodied carbon during construction? And that depends on where you are. If you're in a country that's got a decarbonized grid, you're, you're okay. If you're not in a country with a decarbonized grid and you're burning, like in Poland, and you're burning lignite, right? What you waste on your embodied carbon for the construction doesn't really matter because your biggest operational carbon cost is going to come from the lignite. But I think in the future, manufacturing and, you know, you're going to be racing to produce your equipment in decarbonized areas because otherwise any carbon tax that's applied is going to be, it's just going to put you out of business. It's as simple as that. It brings you on to another point that we've touched on a few times as well in our, in our discussions, but do you think regulation is going to come in before, as in serious regulation, before the sector has made the necessary changes? Or do you think, you know, the flip of that is the sector can adapt alongside the regulations and have an input into the regulations? James, what's your view on that one? I think that's uh, that's interesting. There is always the thought that, yeah, we can do it right. We're, we're, we're all grown-ups here. You know, we'll do what is right. But it's until there is regulation that there will not control what is going on. 
For example, if we remove the speed limits in the UK wholesale, everybody would do exactly what they wanted and drive as fast as they wanted. But yet we have the speed limits there to keep people inside boundaries. We need regulation there to keep companies inside boundaries to be able to keep moving forward. Now, I, I, I know I had a bit of an internet connection problem there, you know, for, for a couple of minutes, but I heard John talking about, you know, the built form. And it's quite correct that if you change your built form from concrete and steel, you can reduce your carbon by up to 40%. Now, I've been really heartened to see some clients coming to us and saying, we want to build in Glulam and CLT very large facilities. I've had other clients come along and say, we want to be putting carbon capture units on sites. Now, that's really interesting that people have thought about this. And sections of RFPs have got a big thing about biodiversity and forestry in a data center RFP. Now, that's a really enlightened client that is talking about that. I mean, I've, I've talked you know, before about uh, Jeremy Clarkson and Clarkson's farm. And he's doing a piece to cameras. He's driving his you know, diesel guzzling you know, um, Range Rover down the road. Talking about years ago, your windscreen would be a smorgasbord of dead insects. Now that is not really the case. So to improve biodiversity, what are we doing about that at a data center? Which is a a lot of areas that are hard, flat, you know, that is taken away that biodiversity in those areas. We need to bring that in, but it is an it will only be when we have regulation and that driving those thoughts. If you if you don't have to do it, you're not going to do it. I, yeah, I, and I would agree with James in that respect. Now, you know, um, and part of my discussion with the Times journalist was was about um, you know. And he actually came out and asked me, he said, Is the what's the government doing about this? Right. And um, you know, I mean, James, you sat on a panel with me in Birmingham not too long ago, where we had a representative from the Infrastructure Projects Authority, and the keynote was from the PPS to or the project lead of the digital infrastructure. And she just started um, you know, talking about the attack profile and security of, of data centers complete you know somebody else's problem gap on where we should be putting them where the energy is coming from which is as big a security issue as an actual cyber breach in my opinion um so yeah i think we need to have a then there needs to be a spatial strategy developed for the uk and i think you know touching on the point we said earlier you know if the gla is saying that um, no housing developments can be built in west london because data centers are sucking up all the power which we know is probably a fallacy um well, then let's look elsewhere in the country. Yeah. Um, there's, um, and we were talking about the West Midlands and, you know, and we we're hopefully um, having discussions with, with some of the regional authorities there about doing exactly that in the near future. Um, so there's, there's, there's government policy and then there's planning guidance. And at the moment, there's no planning guidance for data centers in the UK at all. You can literally rock up at any site you want and build what you want and hope that you haven't got a data center aware planning officer that's going to put some restrictions on you. Um, and, and I think that's got to change as well. You know, there has to be some guidance. 
we need to think about some of the elements that are contained within the EU Code of Conduct for Data Centres Energy Efficiency, such as district heating, you know, putting the, the waste into that, and then think about the ex energy flexibility services. Um, think about being microgrids for the local community. Um, and there's a whole loads of ESG factors as well. Environment, you know, you described the environments there, James. You know, in the Netherlands, around Schiphol Airport Development Company, which will now be cascaded out across the whole of the Netherlands, there is a nature section. They've taken basically the Schiphol Airport Development Company green data center campus concepts that I personally worked on back in 2018, 2019 with Green IT Amsterdam, and they've enshrined them into law. So you now need to provide back boxes. You need to provide uh, areas where, where nature can thrive, which, um, you know, it, it's a good thing. But this is Europe. You know, we have probably the highest level of environmental protection laws anywhere in the world. But they're going to be building stuff in Africa and in Asia-Pac and in Latin America and in the US where Maybe the environmental protections are down at county level and, um, you know, things get done. Um, I won't say what I was going to say, but, you know, things can be done and things cannot be done and things can be not, you know, not enforced. Um, but, yeah, you know, and again, don't look up. You know, the data centre industry really should start to watch don't look up because we are going to be hit. One other point I was going to say is, the regulation that's in place at the moment is soft touch. It doesn't really cover direct data centers. It's more on the energy side of things. EU ETS, for instance, the SECA regulations, the ESOS regulations. However, if we're going to have greater use of ICT systems in our daily lives, such as 5G, uh, medtech, and all sorts of autonomous vehicles, artificial intelligence machine learning it really is pushing machines and code into our backbone of our society and that's got to be regulated it's got to be regulated in the same way as electricity gas and water um although the water companies seem to be getting away with blue murder at the moment and i you know what happens if you've got a pacemaker that's sending information to your heart doctor um, and the data centers that are controlling that or the network even that's sending that data fails at some point and you end up dead because the doctor wasn't able to contact you and give you some, you know, make some tweaks to the system. That's where I think it gets really interesting, you know, and sooner or later we are going to be regulated um, and that's going to make some people in the industry very unhappy indeed. I definitely I think just, just, just coming back on what, what John has said there, it sort of leads into some of my thoughts around circularity and how circularity in a lot of instances doesn't truly exist. And this is where people have a really great idea. Yes, this will solve a problem, but they never think it right the way through. I'm thinking here, you know, two particular instances, wind turbines and lithium batteries. You know, great ideas, but what's the solution for a wind turbine blade when it comes to end of life? Usually it's landfill. 
Now, is have we really thought that one through? Over the next few years, there's probably 45,000 wind turbine blades that come to end of life. That's 45,060 or 80 meter blades that have got to be put in, in, in landfill. Lithium batteries. What percentage of a lithium battery is currently recyclable? Probably somewhere between 15 and 20%. You know, so we need to think a little bit better about these great ideas that we have, think it right the way through from cradle to grave. What are we going to do with this stuff after we've you know, finished using it? Otherwise, we are still a take, make, and you know, dispose of. That is no good. We need to think more joined up about this. And, and you know, on that matter again, you know, um, lithium is mined in various places around the world, but rare earths, you know, and if you look at the the amount of raw materials, periodic elements that are used in information and comms technology right now, it's gone up from, I think, six elements in before the 1990s, and now it's almost half of the periodic table. And some of those elements are, they're called rare earths for a reason, right? Um, and then I'm going back to Brundtland's definition. Meeting our needs whilst maintaining the needs of future generations. ICT at the moment is not doing that. All it's doing is going around digging up what it can and using it in, to be honest, frivolous devices. You know, um, I mean, I've got, probably three, four phones on my desk from various ages. Um, I've never had the chance to recycle them um, because at the time they weren't recyclable. Um, we've got to look at the e-waste problem. And, you know, I've seen reports that would say that in 20, they're even doing it now, but in 20 years time, people will be mining landfills to get these rare earths out of old ICT equipment. Um, luckily for us, we've got some great projects operating at European level. Sedachi, for instance, the N2S uh, leaching process to get some of the rare earths out. So progress is being made. But, you know, I wrote an article yesterday for um, for a, a BCS magazine, and I, um, I checked the latest um, – I checked the latest e-waste information. And it said last year, all right, in 2019, a record 53.6 million metric tons of electronic waste was generated worldwide. And that's gone up 21% in five years. And of that, um, a new report predicted global e-waste will, will reach 74 megatons by 2030, which is a doubling of e-waste in just 16 years. And then only 17.4% of the 2019 e-waste was collected and recycled. So over 83% of those rare earths are being dumped into landfill. And the thing is, what they're saying is that if you start mining landfill, your yield of rare earths is going to be higher than you would actually get in the natural environment at around 6%. Whereas in the natural environment, it's about 1%, and you have to go through a, a great deal of pain in crushing and processing to get it. At least with landfill waste, you'll be able to 
probably process it a little easier than than going doing the mining. And of course, mining itself isn't environmentally friendly in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so really, I think. Sorry, go, go on. on. Well, I was going to say, you know, I think ICT need, needs to take a long, long, hard look at itself because, you know, it needs to make the products uh, recyclable easier than they are at the moment. There needs to be the ability to upgrade them if necessary beyond what they upgrade now. You know, if you talk to them, they go, yeah, you can, you can put more chips in. Um, if you've got a, an eight processor server board, you can put more chips in. You might be able to put a new memory in, but it comes to a point where you've maxed out on it. Um, and it really is. You have to go to another product. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things that the ICT industry needs to take a look at itself. And, and what I was going to say is I think a lot of it, when we talk about sustainability and through this discussion, kind of the, the key point I take out is about that view for the future. Rather than thinking about how it impacts us today, which is probably what we all do in our own lives as well as you know when we're building data centres, but... It's about planning for the future and how it impacts, like you said, the next generation or the future generations. And that's probably what we're not doing. And that is what we need to do going forward. Agreed. And I think, you know, when we we talk about, you know, targets for 2050, John and myself will be sat by the fireside with our slippers on, you know, by, by that particular time, you know, having a refreshing beverage or three. But... You know, what relevance has 2050 got to us? You know, it is today, tomorrow, next week, next month. That's where we can have an impact that will affect the quality of life that John and I will experience when we're, you know, sitting in our wheelchairs. Thanks for that wonderful vision. Um, what I was going to say is I, I take the view of, um, and there's a few things about this, right? So, so, you know, if we were to plant an oak tree, tomorrow right we will never see it at its full capacity because it takes 200 years to grow right but what a future legacy that is for our great 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 grandchildren to, to play around the tree that granddad plant or great 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 granddad planted and the other thing I was going to say is um if you think about the victorian entrepreneurs that that basically built the railways and the canals they are still here today right so they they did leave something for us, um, although they they used steam and coal and, and basically depleted all of our coal reserves in doing so. But they themselves would say, "Well, we've stopped the tr- we, we allowed the trees to grow because people were burning wood to, for food and heat." When we discovered this miracle rock, black rock that burnt, it was wonderful, you know. So, in order to think about legacy. You know, if if I do anything to the data center sector that what I will be remembered for in 50 years' time, I think I'll be quite happy as I'm sitting there smoking my cigar and drinking my triple distilled single malt whiskey in front of the fire with James in the old people's home. Well, thanks for that little window into your 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 life there, John. Uh, but I'm going to live forever, so you know I, I need to make sure that you know what we are doing is going to be sustainable. I mean, the the planet that we're on, we have one planet's worth of resources, you know, so we need to take good care of it. You know, and if we are going to leave something you know, for the future in the way that we want to find it, you know, so that's really, really important. You know, that we, we take, and I think we'll come back to the same point we made uh, some time ago, Andy, it's about personal responsibility. 
what are we doing personally about this? Because if we do want to live forever, we need to make sure that we are going to be living in an environment that is good. The earth is an amazing uh, thing. It's self-healing, self-cleaning, as long as we stop dirtying it up in the, in the first instance. No, totally agree. And I think, and hopefully, that discussion is a bit thought-provoking for people because, say, like, you know, from my own perspective, it's easy to take things for granted. And I think we all do. And we, we don't realise that kind of the small things we do can have a bigger impact. And, you know, we all need to do our bit, basically. So I've enjoyed that conversation. We could talk all day about this. There's no doubt about it. And we, yeah. we definitely will have to do it again in the future. But if anyone wants to listen to, obviously, more, I've recorded episodes before with John and James, so you can dig them out in the back catalogue. But thanks for both of your time today. I'm, I know you'll be happy if anyone's got any questions for them to reach out to you directly. Yeah, oh, no yes. problem. Excellent. Welcome, and obviously, mate. come... And obviously come to me if you've got any questions as well and I'll, I'll pass you on. But thanks both for your time and we'll catch up again soon. Great. Thank you. Thank you.